0: this is episode number 40 of the abuse talk podcast with me jennifer gilmore welcome to the abuse talk podcast my name is jennifer gilmore and i turned my pain into a purpose i'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and believe that together we are louder Each fortnight, there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in with a conversation by leaving a voice message, head to our website and go through Anchor. Share your thoughts. In this episode, I speak to Vivian Bickham, MBE, finally having a conversation together it was so lovely we find out about her journey into the domestic abuse sector her personal experiences and how much she has achieved before we get started I want to say a big thank you to Rockpool they're the main sponsor for hashtag abuse talk and they have an open training course coming up Um, you can become a facilitator of the space program now the space program is a five-week educational program to support any parent or carer and children through the challenge of growing up in an ever-changing stressful world something I uh, can kind of relate to as a mum of three here and you can be a facilitator of this program it's on the 11th and 12th of may and you can head to their website to find out more rockpool.life i also want to say a big thank you to hashtag abuse talk patrons susan rahima and katrina hay for their continued support on the hashtag abuse talk tier um you can go to patreon.com forward slash jen l gilmore to find out more about the hashtag abuse talk tier and if you want to find out any news updates uh, updates before anybody else I also want to state that I am so sorry with my sussing because I've just had braces fitted and that is what is going on with me today but um, I'm looking forward to this episode so let's head right into that now. Here with Viv Bickham which I'm actually really excited about. We've just spoken to each other as if we've known each other forever and I guess it is like that on in the digital world isn't it? So we've probably been tweeting each other for quite a few years and I've you know followed your work for quite some time so it's been it's really nice to have you and I should actually say
1: Vivian Bickham
0: MBE shouldn't I so (laughs)
1: that's that's a very nice introduction Jennifer
0: no worries well I I obviously wanted to bring you on because I was just looking around and I thought I keep seeing you pop up online and I should really just get you on the podcast because you have had such a journey and I asked you to send me your bio and I was just blown away <laughs> even more so so I thought what would be really nice is if you take us on a bit of your career journey really and share some of your experiences so I guess I would love to hear where it started and um, if you want to tell everybody a bit about you obviously in that process that would be brilliant.
1: Um, yeah that's that's really good um, I have to say um, within my family home Um, we we're a very close family, we're a very large family, there's six children, Um, and uh, my mum and dad uh, were married uh, for nearly 50 years before, unfortunately, my mum died, Um, and uh, my mum had quite a lot of uh, health issues um, that affected us as a family, but uh, it allowed us to develop that resilience and closeness of a, attachment with each other Um so when obviously I'd started in this work um, and that was led really because my best friend uh, that we'd grown up through um, secondary school primarily together from first year we'd been friends Um, She uh, met uh, a guy um, from Canada uh, who was working in the local area. Um, My friend uh, Gillian, we used to go out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. um, And we used to dance and literally dance from when the nightclub opened till closing doors. (laughs) And uh, we used to have really silly tricks on any blokes that tried to and we used to call it the bullring, where they would like be on the outside and then they'd come on and go, do you want to dance? And we go, well, we're dancing, you know, that's what we do. Um, and we, we used to be terrible. And the DJs who knew us would say, lads, don't ever dance with them because they will just, um, you know, uh, make fools of you. And uh, we used to do what we used to do. Gillian was really good looking. And uh, she would go at the front and do quite a sexy dance because she was dead slim and everything. And I would go behind and undo the buttons, <gasps> take the shirts off and then pull the pants down so they couldn't run away. And honestly, we we, we had such a reputation in all the discos that people just said, don't ever dance with them because they they're just here to dance. And Jillian <laughs> would um, do the des- disco dancing competitions because it was... That time in like the late seventies, eighties, when obviously, um, you know, uh, the John Travolta was around and all that, Um, so we did these dancing competitions, and Gillian always won. She was absolutely amazing, Um, and we met um, uh, Raymond uh, Jules. Uh, He appeared. Really polite, uh, opened doors, pulled a chair out to make us, you know, allow her to sit down, would pay for everything, didn't, uh, you know, and uh, was very affectionate um, and everything. And Gillian just said, you know, oh, God, I feel like I've just, you know, won the, well, we didn't have the lottery then, but won, you know, spot the ball it was in our day. Um, and uh, he persuaded her to move to Canada, to Toronto. And when she moved there, she rang me and said, something's not quite right. Um, you know, his, his attitude has changed. I'm not really sure about things. Um, and I was saying, you know, well, you can always come back. Your mum and dad have always said you can always come back. Um, and unbeknown to us at that point, she'd uh, travelled... Uh, across Canada to see his mum and ask for help from his mum and um, what we understand was that uh, she just said you know look he's he's got a mental illness Um, you need to you know um, sort him out and everything so Gillian went back uh, and he found out that uh, she'd been to see his mum um, and at that point, what Gillian didn't know was that he was actually diagnosed as a schizophrenic. Right. Um, uh, and uh, and what we understand is that an argument happened. The neighbour who lived underneath them um, heard the argument um, and this crash. And what we understand is that he'd pushed her um, and um, there was... A head injury, a severe head injury on Gillian, um, that then resulted because she wasn't a Canadian citizen. She was then taken by ambulance, but she had to go to a charity hospital because she wasn't a Canadian citizen. And the delay meant that obviously the damage to her brain and everything was quite severe. Um, And then as a result of that, um, Gillian came back. to obviously back home and was um, looked after by her mum and dad but ended up in a vegetative state for nearly 23 years Um, and certainly at the outset the expectation was that she would only live three to five years so it was the dedication of her mum and her family really that you know allowed her to to live for so long Um, and um, initially he wasn't going to be charged or anything like that. Um, And then um, the uh, Torontos, um, they have like a a criminal injuries board. They shoved it back to court, and he ended up with um, three months jail and 18 months probation for the assault. Um, But when Gillian actually died, um, the coroner at the time, Michael Singleton, said that he recorded a a verdict of unlawful killing um, and actually asked the Canadian police to reopen it as a murder investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they said that they couldn't because so much time had uh, elapsed um, and that uh, their uh, law of double jeopardy forbids a Person for being prosecuted twice. Um, And again, what they said was that they couldn't find where he was or what they, you know, or anything like that at that time. Um, But Gillian's passion for life and, um, you know, just a passion for, you know, just living and everything else was obviously robbed from her. You know by her asking for help mm-hmm. um, and it t- for me just didn't seem right. So I got involved with uh, victim support uh, at that time um, and uh, became a volunteer visitor uh, for them um, and then a job came up uh, with at that time Blackburn Darwin District Women's Aid um, and I went on to uh, work uh, for them and uh, expanded uh, the service from one refuge to three refuges, um, and um, we, you know, we we had a lot of accolade in being um, really at the forefront of change. We had um, the Wish Centre, which was one of the first um, multi-agency drop-in centres where we had uh, a domestic abuse um, officer come, somebody from housing. Um, And I can only say that without the help at that time of um, another friend um, who is just amazing, um, Linda Thompson, Um, she taught me absolutely everything um, about domestic abuse and um, obviously how it impacts not just on women but on children. Um, And actually, Linda was the one who's set up virtually every refuge she's so good at getting a good bargain basement deal um and uh she's incredible and I've said when I go for my MBE she's coming with me because <laughs> without her influence um I certainly um Aww. would not have achieved so much she was just um in- incredible uh, like I say, I couldn't have achieved half of what Um, I have without her influence, um, particularly as well, um, around that. Well, I mean,
0: like, we just started that whole conversation, you know, laughing about, you know, the memories and, you know, I felt like I could visualise you two dancing that way. And then the conversation turned and I knew it was coming, but you still don't want to believe that something like this can happen to another person and it's clearly been the passion and the drive for for you to take those steps um and you know become um who you are today really and the the work that you do to help other people um so I guess in a way that that I always I've kind of been saying that the pain has become a purpose but I don't want to put that to you I find um I find that anybody I come across that is working in the in the sector has a link um somehow. And I think that drives that person to, you know, be passionate and to help and to sort of continue those steps forward to, Mm -hmm. you know, helping other people that are going through it. Um, and I'm sure that you will have you know, Gillian was the, the beginning of that journey, but there'll have been so many experiences um, that you have witnessed and, um, you know, stories and of those um, women and men going through um, domestic abuse. Um, so how do you cope? Because I, I don't know um, how you managed to do that. Obviously, it being really close and, and raw. How do you manage that emotionally? Um.
1: For me, uh, part of it is I, I think of obviously the, the good times that we had and and keep that perspective. I remember the phone call from her like it was yesterday where she rang and just said, there's just something not right. And even now when I'm talking about it, the hairs on my arms stand up because I, could, I can hear her voice saying, I really just don't know what to do. And I've never felt, like, so immobilised in my life. But I think one of the the passions that keep me going is working, you know, with agencies um, like Safe Lives, who do the Reaching In project, that, you know, with the, they started during COVID, you know, doing things that you think actually can make a difference. Mm. Um, and I think that gives me a a balance. The other aspect is I am very blessed in that my own family um, are really supportive and I get a lot of joy from seeing them happy and everything else. A lot is about self-care and recognising, you know, when that trigger happens, sometimes they recognise that I just have to go and be on my own Mm. and do that aspect for me, um, I'm a real believer in hypnotherapy. Um, I, and again, this is perhaps a bit of a distraction, uh, Jennifer, but I would love to hypnotise perpetrators. And um, we did a bit of a pilot once when we were working, um, uh, at cha- when I was working at Changing Lives and the feedback was really positive. Um, and I always think, particularly, you know, being able to do self-hypnosis, do calming, grounding techniques, really just, you know, gives me an aspect of I have a lot of gratitude in my life. And, you know, that is is what keeps me, I think, purposeful on there is, you know, some aspects of life which are horrendous. Um, but actually, and my mum was a real believer in this, injustice. Mm. Um, my mum uh, was uh, from Belgium. And when she was young, um, she was very olive skinned and got to the grammar school. But she was never allowed on the photographs at the grammar school because of her skin colour. So she was a real advocate in, you know, you've, you've got to, you know, accept people for who they are. You've got to, um, you know, be equal and diverse and everything else. And, you know, there's always a backstory mm-hmm. um, to things. So, you know, don't, like, you know, people say, don't judge a book by its cover, you know mm. let's let's get behind what's actually going on for somebody
0: mm. and I
1: think as I've developed throughout my career and done aspects of different uh, therapeutic training etc um that gets a real understanding of you know we we all have boulders that we drag along sometimes and um, and it's you know sometimes having the key to you know, cut the cord and let it go, um, and I've and I've certainly seen the benefit of that um, through therapeutic intervention. And you know, I think that's what gives me hope all the time. That when people mm-hmm. say, "Oh, I'll never get over this," well, actually, you, you know, there are options, and never say never. And that was I always remember my mum saying that: "Never say never, Vivian." you know, it, there's always opportunity, there's always hope. Um, yeah. And I think that's a, a principle that I really value and believe in. Yeah, so my
0: my husband used to say to me, because um, I ended up in a relationship with him pretty much straight after my abusive one had ended, um, but he was like a hero, so that's fine. He looked after me, he was a friend. And he used to say to me, even the word herpless has the word herp in it and it sounds so corny and cheesy when I think about it now but I remember this energy that it gave me you know to think you know I can get on a little bit further and there is quite a lot of material out there and I don't know how what you think about this but I find that if you look for it you can find it so I self-referred myself to go on um, the recovery toolkit in, in Hull, which is, they've called it the Brave program here. Um, I self-referred myself, which they said is so unusual um, to do, but I was obviously willing and needing that support. Um, but if you don't put yourself out there, I find it's quite difficult to find support because you wouldn't necessarily think, it was abuse. You've got mm-hmm. to actually realize that it was an abusive relationship and this wasn't, this was abnormal, um, especially for things like emotional abuse, coercive control. You might actually end that That relationship, might end, and you might go years before recognizing that that is a wrong type of behavior mm. and the depths it has taken on you as a person. So I don't know what you think about accessibility. Um, obviously, you've got years of experience. How do you find accessibility for um, victims
1: um, and for those that have come out of an abusive relationship? I think we're getting better. And certainly, like Sue Penner's programme, like the Recovery Toolkit um, and the developments that you know um, companies like Rockpool do you know, and develop their strands of you know accessibility to family models as well because I think one of the first things I learned very early on when I worked at Women's Aid was that I was going and talking to women and they were saying you're telling me to leave you're telling me to go into a refuge but I still love him I want something for him and until you can give me that I I don't you know I don't see what what benefit you're going to give me so I learned very early on it is about options and choices Mm. I think it's also very much about an education that is tailored to the individual because again when we started initially doing courses you know we'd you know for survivors of domestic abuse well I'm not going to go to a children's centre and only my hand up and say, oh, I'm going to write my name down for that one because <laughs> then it's out in the public domain that, yeah. you know, I've got trouble at home. So we, the the creativeness and being able to bring it in, um, t- we did one, uh, I remember, we did a course um, for the South Asian community and we called it a health and safety course because... What the people in the community said was, if you'd mention anything about it's a women-only course and everything like that, the men will suspect. So we said, well, you tell us what we could call it. So mm. they said, health and safety. So that's what we did. And we we then were able to get women to come and we talked about their health and their safety uh-huh. under the disguise of what abuses um yeah. you know what constitutes because again uh, when I you speak to women initially and talk about coercive control they have like what what are you talking about you know they they don't necessarily have an understanding of what gaslighting is they don't necessarily understand that you know because he's ringing me 40 times a day but he's doing that because he loves me you know and it's that changing those perceptions that it's like a trickle feed you can't just say to somebody look that is abuse Mm. you know they've got to have that self-illumination themselves that makes sense yeah
0: it does make sense and um, I love that idea to be honest of health and safety it makes perfect sense and you know you put in especially if somebody's in that relationship you're putting them at, at risk really by going to a program um and obviously things have been a lot more difficult now because of COVID yeah um in terms of actually being able to connect and obviously you've mentioned safe lives um reach in so would you like to
1: sort of elaborate on that for us um obviously one of the the things that safe lives do is they are pioneers Um, that work with them uh, on, you know, what needs to happen, particularly um, for those people who are being affected on a daily basis. And obviously during COVID, one of the concerns was that, you know, so many um, victims and survivors were literally then locked in a, you know, a house for, you know, in this last lockdown, what, we're nearly 90 days in? Um, And, you know, how can we make sure that these people have an opportunity? So, you know, just do your neighbourly thing of checking in and just making Mm. sure where it's safe to do so. And certainly in Wales, they're doing a bystander consultation at the moment um, just to get some feedback um, around, you know, what else could we do If this ever happens again, you know, where we can reach in to individuals um, and just make sure that they're safe, that they've got contact with somebody that, you know, if there's a safe way to give a signal. And I can remember really, again, um, quite early on working with um, a survivor and her message to her neighbour Was if something was going to kick off because she knew it would, she'd put the bathroom light on and that she'd she'd flick it so that it flickered and then it would stay on. So the neighbor would know that that there was something going on. Does that make make sense? Yeah,
0: it does. And it's really sad, you know, hearing, you know, examples like that because we just, do want um, people to leave that uh, relationship? And it's really easy on hindsight for me to look back. Um, and I remember I left multiple times and I went back and I went back. And it's easy for me to look back and say, I know why I did that. Uh, but it's also easy to go, this were, you know, there were the red flags and this is why I did that. And I could have just gone. Um, and it makes it a real struggle when you're supporting a person that's in that relationship. And you do want that realization, don't you? But in a way, and I don't want to say it's the full responsibility of that person, but it had to be me that made that decision to get out. It had to come from me because like you mentioned, the whole but he loves me, you know, He he's doing that because he's protecting me, he's doing that because he's got my best interests at heart and nobody, ever, nobody in the world will do that for me because, he, you know, that's him and that's how besotted he is with me. It's really difficult, isn't it, to sort of take yourself away and I definitely think things like trauma bonding um, aren't spoken about enough and then also yeah that it doesn't end when the relationship does. You know, abuse still can happen. It just changes its form. Um, and it's really, a really difficult situation. So I think creative ways, you know, you mentioned creativity in um, how to address like a programme with health and safety. Obviously, neighbours have been creative in that way. I think if people can look at it and it become a social thing that we look out for as a society it would make a huge difference. Mm. Um, but we're still not there yet, right? We've got to work and educate and maybe bring it down into the school system, perhaps. Um oh,
1: definitely. And I, and I think the other aspect, and again, this is one of my mantras, Jennifer, is that if we don't do anything with those who harm others, then all they do is go on to the next person. So it costs more to do nothing with them Mm. you know we need to have a proper strategy on that is safe if people want to stay together, but create that space for action so that yes. individuals can make that choice around the options open to them. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the other aspects is that is under uh, spoken about is around attachment. Mm. And the fact that perpetrators often have attachment issues from their background, and that's why they are like limpets to survivors in that, you know, I cannot live without you because we're mm. attached at the hip, so to speak, you know, and that manipulation and the threat, you know, of coercively controlling them by saying, if you leave me, I'll commit suicide or else, self harm myself. All that are issues around their identity, etc. Mm. And again, I think we need to educate, certainly victim survivors, about the different psychologies and typologies of perpetrators, because one mm. size does not fit all. And yet, what you know, we've got better at, but I, I still don't think we're there yet. We put everybody through that same funnel. And, yeah. And and I you know. think that's the same with perhaps um,
0: somebody going through an abusive relationship. Whenever we do anything in regards to forms, it's like tick this box and that box. And for me, um, so I was in a relationship before the UK law came into place for coercive control. It was also a time when I didn't believe that him sleeping with me in my sleep was rape. I felt that was still a duty as as a wife, so I didn't even recognize it. I did recognize his behavior, but the police, the family support worker, um, they were a completely alien to it in terms of it was so complex the form of abuse and what I'd experienced that they didn't really know what to do with with the situation mm. and and how to support me really to be honest and I think it isn't just as simple as it that's an abusive person that's an abusive relationship because it's, diff- it's the same behavior, but it's portrayed in different ways. Exactly. And just as you look at personality disorders as well, there's there's like, I think there's 13 different, I'll have to look up that, to be honest. It's been a while since I've been reading on on personalities. Um, and even throwing in a lot recently is the term narcissistic abuse. And that can be used so much in, in the wrong way. And just like toxic relationships, you know is it an abusive relationship or is it a toxic relationship? What is the difference difference between them both So I do think there's a lot of work to be done in how we develop a society for our younger generations to understand that no you don't have depression, you're having a low day or you um that is a toxic relationship it isn't abusive or vice versa it's trying to figure out how can we get the right i suppose label but we don't want to label it right
1: yeah (laughs) i feel like it's a struggle yeah and i think the thing with labels is that sometimes the people that are labeled then start living up to that label and yeah. I've seen that particularly with children that are diagnosed with AD, allegedly ADHD. Right. Um, that I witnessed coming through the refuge. And yet, when they were then in the refuge, they'd calm down. They'd be t- in. I, I used to say to social work students, in six weeks, that child will be a completely different child. And they'd come back to me and they'd say, Do you know, Viv, you were absolutely right. And that child was still being given, obviously, medication to you know, calm them down and everything else. But it was the environment that they were living in that they were responding to. Yeah. You know, that I think we we are we live in a society that likes labels. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um they talk about the toxic trio and you know people with complex needs. And you know, I think we we need to understand if somebody hears that what impact does it have on them and I think one of the things that we we haven't got right yet is the interconnectedness between domestic abuse and the sexual abuse that goes on within that that people get shoved into little you know well you you can have an idva for that but you've got to have an isver for that Mm. and we 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 need to join up a little bit better there are obviously you know the appropriateness for idvers and isvers but there are some women that need that interconnectedness of just one contact does that make, yeah. make sense
0: it does make sense and there the, the can be multiple services involved and sometimes you know you you get on with one person and you're like i know this person is going to help me and the other three services that are involved I don't have a, a link a connection with as a human being but yet it's a part of what you what you have to do um so yeah there's there's a long way to go isn't there but I mean we've we've digressed a bit let's um let's talk about your MBE because I'm assuming you were meant to go and and get it I don't know if um has it been delayed
1: um I was supposed to get it last June yeah. on June, June the 2nd oh. um, and i got a lovely outfit because obviously it would be June and it'd be nice and warm and everything else. Um, and then obviously a few weeks before they just said that obviously everything was on hold. Um, and since then, um, it, it, everything that has been on hold, um, I've got the certificate, but I've just not got the, the little badge, um, so to speak. So, um, I'll just have to I am a lady in waiting. So <laughs> <laughs> I bet I'd be so like, oh gosh, I
0: want this day to come. Yeah. Um it's very exciting. And um it's for the your whole work, is it, or is it specifically for an area?
1: Um, it was for the work around um domestic abuse, sexual violence, and the perpetrator work I'd done at Drive. Um, apparently I didn't know <laughs> who had ed- uh, nominated me but they said that uh there was a number of nominations from different sections so that's that's and it was like I must whoever had like started the ball roll and it was like it must have been like I was stalking the cabinet <laughs> office to say this, this woman needs it but she said it, it, had, it had been rolling in a, over a couple of years so um I said well you know i, I I, at the end of the day, I was so humbled um, because, like I say, without you know various people in my life, um, I couldn't have achieved what I had achieved. I always say, you know, there's been a team of people behind me. It's yeah. not it's not just an MBE for me. It's about all the people that I've worked with and who have been as dedicated and as professional. Um, as me you know they've achieved it as much as I have really
0: oh my goodness I mean it's it's amazing I hope you get that day you'll have to keep me posted so um, I can share the news with everyone but I'm sure I will see it anyway to be fair <laughs> um, well I want to say you know a huge thank you for giving up your time I know it's valuable and um, thank you for all the work that you have done in supporting you know the multiple services that you've made a difference to and probably hundreds of that or thousands of um, women um, and people living in abusive relationships that you've helped so thank you so much for 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 agreeing to do this
1: (laughs) thank you for asking me jennifer it's um when i when i look back i just think i call myself sometimes the dinosaur of the da world because it it, (laughs) you know it does seem like i've been here a, a very long time but having said that i have seen so much change for the better um and really look forward to even more enhanced um, support and safety measures with the DA bill that's coming in. Mm. Um, I know it needs a few tweaks, um, but it's better than nothing. And so at the end of the day, it's all moving in the right direction
0: yeah well again i can't imagine you know that's reassuring for me to hear that you have seen that change over the years um and it's almost a reassurance and i'm sure everyone else will feel that as well so thank you once again um vivian become (laughs) mbe
1: thank you jennifer it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to talk to you
0: once again a big thank you to vivian bickham mpe what a conversation we had and i'm sure it won't be the last if you enjoy listening to the hashtag abuse talk podcast please leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening on we'd love to read your feedback and um if you're listening on access northwest radio station you can find out more about what we do on abusetalk.co.uk You've been listening to me, Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. Both are available on Amazon.